Part twenty three of Washington and the Riddle of Peace by H. G. Wells. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. India, the British Empire, and the Association of Nations. Washington, December seven. It is difficult to think of any subject more completely out of the agenda of the Washington Conference than the future of India, but none demands our attention more urgently if we are to build up anything like a working conception of an association of nations. Some days ago Senator Johnson declared he had received assurances from President Harding that no further steps toward a definite organization of an association of nations were to be taken for the present. But these assurances will not hinder the drift of thoughts and events toward such a developing system of understandings, as much at last, in fact if not in name, constitute a world association. Indeed, the less we try to fix such a thing at present, and the more we think it out, the more probable and safe is its coming. Let the President go on, therefore, taking no steps directly toward his association, but proceeding, as he must do very soon, with some sort of international conference, upon the economic disorders of the world, and also with the creation of some arrangement, permanent understanding, or whatever other name may be given to that commission, which is inevitable if the peace of the Pacific is to be made secure let us who are dealers in the flimsier preparatory stuff of ideas and public opinion get on with our discussion of the wider stabilizing understanding that looms behind i have already said that from every country world peace and universal prosperity will demand a price the price america will need to pay if she is to impose her conception of a universal peace upon the world is a great intellectual effort an effort of sympathy an abandonment of some venerated traditions, and in addition she must nerve herself to what may seem at first very great financial generosities. France must pay, by laying aside an ancient and cherished quarrel, her glorious and tragic militarism and the last vestige of her imperial ambition. The thought of predominance and the thought of revenge must be the German sacrifice and Britain also must pay, in an altered attitude to those wide possessions of hers inhabited by alien peoples that have hitherto constituted the bulk of her empire. The destiny of all the English-speaking democracies that have risen now, from being British colonies to semi-independent states, seems fairly clear. They will go on to nationhood their links to Great Britain, continually less formal and legal, and more and more strongly sympathetic, will be supplemented by their attraction toward America, due to affinity and a common character. All the mischief-makers in the world cannot, I think, prevent the Dutch-English of South Africa, the English-French of Canada, the English-French of Australia, the English-Scotch of New Zealand, the Americans, this new emancipated Ireland and Britain, being drawn together at last by all their common habits of thought and speech, and even by the mellowed memories of their past conflicts, into a conscious brotherhood of independent but cooperative nations. The day has come for the Irish to recognize that the future is of more value than the past. Even without any other states, this girdle of English-speaking states about the globe could be of a great predominant association. 
within this english-speaking circle of peoples a whole series of experiments in separation independent action readjustment cooperation and federation have been made in the last century and a half and are still going on of the utmost significance in the problem of human association no other series of communities have had such experiences no other communities have so much to give mankind in these matters the german coalescences have been marred by old methods of force methods which have usually failed in the english cases spain and latin america are at least half a century behind the english-speaking world in the arts and experience of political cooperation but when we turn to india we turn to something absolutely outside the english-speaking world girdle one of the many manifest faults of that most premature project the league of nations was the fiction that brought in india as a self-governing nation as if she were the same sort of thing as these self-governing western states it was indeed a most amazing assumption india is not a nation or anything like a nation india is a confused variety of states languages and races and so far from being self-governing her peoples are under an amount of political repression which is now perhaps greater there than anywhere else in the world politically she is a profound mystery we do not know what the political thoughts of these people are nor indeed whether they have in the mass any political concepts at all parallel to those of western civilizations the indian representative at the washington conference mr sinavastra sastri is obviously a british nominee he is not so much a representative as a specimen indian gentleman we do not know what national forces there are behind him or indeed if there is any collective will behind him at all but it would be hard to substitute for him anything very much more representative what constituency is there what electoral college to send any one india is not in fact so constituted as to send a real representative to a conference or an association of nations at the present time she is a thing of a different kind a different sort of human accumulation she belongs to a different order of creature from the english-speaking and european states and from japan she is as little fitted to deal on equal terms with them as a jungle deer let us say is to join a conference of the larger cetacea in the north polar seas india is far less able to play an effective and genuine part as a member of an association of nations even than china she has no real democratic institutions and she may never develop them in forms familiar to european and american minds we american and english are too apt to suppose that our own democratic methods our voting and elections and debates and press campaigns and parliamentary methods which have grown up through long ages to suit our peculiar idiosyncrasies are necessarily adaptable to all the world in india they may prove altogether misfitting india were she given freedom of self-government under the stimulus of modern appliances and modern thought would probably induce an entirely different series of institutions from those of europe institutions perhaps equally conducive to freedom and development but different in kind and china also with untrammeled initiatives may invent methods of freedom and cooperation at once dissimilar and parallel to western institutions 
but the mention of china brings us back to the possibility of applying the precedent of china to india the discussions and perplexities of the last two or three years which have culminated in the washington conference have slowly worked out and made clear the possibility of a new method in asia this is the method of concerted abstinence and withdrawal the idea of a binding agreement of all the nations interested in china and tempted to make aggressions upon china to come out of and to keep out of that country while it consolidated itself and develops upon its own lines this new method which has had its first trial at the washington conference is a complete reversal of the method of dealing with politically confused or impotent countries and regions adopted at versailles it is an altogether more civilized and more hopeful method versailles and the league of nations were ridden by the idea of mandates all over the world where disorder or weakness reigned a single mandatory power was to go in making vague promises of good behavior to rule and exploit that country it was the thinnest cheapest camouflage for annexation it was a hopeless attempt to continue the worst territory seizing traditions of the nineteenth century while seeming to abandon them it was pecksniff imperialism so we had the snatching of syria of mesopotamia and so forth but any soundly constituted league or association of nations should render that sort of thing unnecessary and inexcusable the reason lying at the base of the british occupation of india of the japanese occupation of korea of the french indochina and so forth is a perfectly sound reason so long as there is no association of nations and it is an entirely worthless one when there is such an association it is that some other power may otherwise come into the occupied and dominated country and use it for purposes of offence the case of the british in india that they have kept an imperial peace for all the peoples of that land that they warded off the afghan raiders who devastated india in the early eighteenth century and afterward the long arm of russia is a very good one indeed the british have little cause to be ashamed of their past in india and many things to be proud of but they have very good cause indeed for being ashamed of their disregard of any indian future they have sat tight and turned peace into paralysis they have not educated enough or released enough always the excuse for suppression has been that fear of the rival well the whole purpose of an association of nations is to eliminate that fear of a rival and all that that fear entails in war possibilities the asiatic empires over alien peoples these possessions of other people's lands and lives have played their part in the world's development they have become tyrannies and exasperations and tawdry grounds for rivalry a real association of nations can have no place for possessions mandates or subject peoples within its scheme end of part twenty three